Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. Come on, you don't have to be a fan of the who, but you should be, uh, to appreciate that Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend, those two guys feature the, the, only, the only two surviving members of the original band because the other guys died of drug overdoses, of course, you know. Uh, but they finally, you know, if you survive, it seems like if you're a rocker who can get into your 40s, then you're okay because you finally realise after about 20 years of doing drugs that they're not good for you and then they seem to reform themselves like these guys have. But they are passionately still doing concerts with the energy uh, that they had more than 50 years ago when they started. They are in their 70s. And I happened to come across the movie of that concert um, on television just yesterday. And, uh, and I don't, you know, follow them closely. I, I like their music when I was a younger man. And, uh, but it, it reminded me of their, of their music and, uh, you know, Pete Townsend with the famous, you know, windmill guitar playing and the feedback on the big Marshall stack amps that they, you know, were the first ones to do and, and uh, you know, they were wild, crazy rockers. Um, but here they are in their 70s, 70,000 people in Hyde Park in London and they're playing, you know, with all the verve and vigour and passion that they ever had and they interviewed um, uh, Pete Townsend about that concert and he said basically we know we've done a good concert if we're completely exhausted at the end he said which is a lot easier to achieve these days uh than when we were younger but um i mean they could just have packed up years ago and be millionaires and they are but they could have just lived off all the royalties of all their famous songs and not done concerts but there's something in them that their passion for their music and for performing keeps them going i also read yesterday in the paper about a 93-year-old uh, by the name of um, Alf Catalano. He emigrated from um, Sicily to Australia um, when he was only seven years old. He's still working full-time at the age of 93. He gets up at 4 a.m. every morning, buys and sells farm machinery, loves his work, says he will work till he dies... And, uh, and then when they said, what about sickness? And he said, oh, the last time I remember getting sick was more than 70 years ago. He got typhoid cutting cane in Queensland. But after that, he got over it and he's fine. And uh, I just thought, that's a great story. Th- th- those guys, basically, they all have one thing in common, and that is the ability to stay passionate about what you love over the long term, to be persistent, to persevere, to keep going And you need to do that if you want to achieve anything in life. If you want to do something significant, you're going to have to develop the ability to persevere, to keep going, to maintain a passion. And when we talk about our vision as a church, I mean, it's easy to get a vision. You just got to spend a bit of time in God's presence and he'll stir you about the ways of God. You'll get your priorities sorted in his presence, like Byron's talking about prayer and seeking God, you just get excited about a little more than just 
doing life for yourself and just getting by and looking after your own lot. You get stirred about serving the Lord. And so it's easy to get a vision. Our vision is pretty simple. Just we want, to, we want to bring glory to God through everything we do as individuals, as a church. And we want to pr- bring other people to God so that they will in turn bring glory to God so that they'll follow and serve Jesus and find and fulfill the destiny that he's got for their lives. And, and so we want to live in in that way, that we've got meaning and purpose in our life. And, um, and of course, the byproduct of that is that you end up being satisfied and happy in your life. It's this wonderful paradox that, you know, when people try and chase after happiness, uh, it seems elusive. Whereas you give that up and lose your life, serve the Lord. Oh, what do you know? You find life and happiness flowing in. And, um, and of course, our mission to fulfill that vision is pretty simple. And we've said this many times. We want to be continually reaching up to worship God reaching out into the community with the good news of Jesus and reaching in with love and discipleship to help each other fulfill our destiny. And, um, and you know, this year we got a, a scripture God gave us about reaching forward or moving forward from the book of Job. Uh, and it may come up if Josh has um, got his act together. Oh, just... The <laughs> Good on you, Josh. Um, so there's this passage, there's this verse from Job 17, verse 9. The righteous keep moving forward. Isn't that awesome? And those with clean hands become stronger and stronger. Well, of course, to be righteous, it's not our work, but God's work through Jesus. Uh, but we still have a, a free choice about what we do with our life, and we want to keep moving forward in God. And clean hands talks about holy living, walking with God, and therefore becoming stronger and stronger in life. Not weaker, not plateauing, but stronger and moving forward. And so how do we do that? Well, this year, again, God gave us a few phrases that we can bring into our lives, into our daily living and we've got a few little phrases we, we've been talking about. Uh, daily devotion, weekly witness, and yearly commitment. Eleanor was sharing over communion, something that came out of her daily devotions. Just prayer and reading the Word of God on a regular basis. Finding a time, even if it's just 10 minutes before you race off to work in the morning, or some time to be settled before the Lord in the evening, or both. But just having a regular connection and prayerful commitment to God. And then, of course, we've been talking about weekly witness. We've had quite a few stories and testimonies of people sharing their faith. At least once a week, being able to prioritise and aim for a meaningful conversation, sharing your faith with someone. Uh, and, and, but, but think of this phrase, yearly commitment. What we mean by that is, is kind of twofold. I guess we're saying there that you can commit to serving God in a team situation here in church uh, for a year, and it doesn't have to be forever. You don't have to feel like this lifelong, dutiful drudgery, but you can say, well, at least for the year. In fact, we're halfway through the year. You've only got six months if you're not on a team of some kind. You can say, well, I'll give something a go. You don't have to be a parent, but you might want to help out serving in the children's ministry. You might love drinking coffee and you're not a barista, but you think, well, rather than just drink it and leave, I might help out and work and serve in the cafe. And there's all sorts of roles we can be involved in, in a servant capacity. But the other side of that yearly commitment is that we want to stay committed to the Lord year after year. We want to have the same passion that those rockers have for their music for the Lord. We want to keep 
like the guy selling farm machinery into his 90s. We want to keep praying and witnessing and serving God right through till the day we die. And so that's a commitment year after year, and that's going to require this quality of passion and, and persistence that I want us to think about. Because um, there's seasons that come that uh, test you, and it's not always easy in any field of endeavour in life, whether it's your job or your relationships with other people or in, in serving the Lord. He'll, he'll allow tests to come to build your character. And, uh, and if we're not careful, we can run away from those tests. Uh, but we want to be excited about Jesus, not just for a few weeks or months or even a year, but year after year. We, we need to be able to serve him through the good times and the not-so-good times, to be able to hold fast to your confession of Christ right through, your, your commitment to him, your servant heart for him, your, your representation of him on earth. Um, and they're the kind of people that God uses to build his church, to impact the world, to change lives. People who are persevering, proactive, patient, persistent people. People who, you know, develop courage and tenacity and, uh, and have this long-term faithful relationship with him and relationships with other people. And one man who did develop that in his life was the prophet Elisha. And I want to look at him uh, in a passage from 2 Kings chapter 2. And here, this is a, uh, a critical point in his life where he really learned and displayed this persistence, this tenacity and passion that we're talking about. In 2 Kings um, chapter 2 verse 1, oh there it is, the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. So you know Elijah was the prophet of the time, the man of God. And there was obviously a prophecy about him not dying in a natural way. Because when you read this, people were aware and talking about the fact that Elijah was expected to be taken miraculously to heaven and his servant protege follower disciple was Elisha as you probably know so verse 2 it says Elijah said to Elisha stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel and Elisha replied as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live I will never leave you so they went down together to Bethel so that's about a 20 kilometer walk if you look at your map of Israel. So that's interesting that Elijah told him to stay, but Elisha says, no, I'm, I'm coming. And it's, it's a bit of a journey, but I'm going to go with you and stay with you. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, Elisha answered, but be quiet about it. So as I said, there's obviously been a prophecy about Elijah's departure. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has now told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on there together to Jericho. So now this is more than 30 kilometers uh, to get to Jericho. And then the group of prophets from Jericho come up to Elisha and say, Hey, did you know that the Lord is going to take Yeah, 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 of course I know, Elisha answered. Be quiet about it. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. 
But again, Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together to the Jordan. It's about another eight kilometers if you look on the map. So there's a lot of walking and there's a lot of temptation and potential even requests from Elijah to stay. And yet Elisha is wanting to stay with Elijah, not leave him behind or not be left behind. 50 men from the group of prophets also went and they watched at a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. Elijah folded his cloak together and he struck the water with it and the river divided and the two of them went across on dry ground. When they came to the other side, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do for you before I am taken away. And Elisha replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit or a double portion, the old King James says it, and become your successor. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. But if you see me when I am taken from you, then you will get your request. But if not, then you won't. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men separating them and Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, I see the chariots and charioteers of Israel. And as they disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak or mantle, which had fallen when he was taken up. Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River and he struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the river divided and Elisha went across. And the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened. They exclaimed, yep, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. What an awesome story. So, and, and as you read on, you'll see that he really did get the double portion. He performed exactly twice the amount of miracles that Elijah had seen in his life. You can count them when you read through. 14, 28. Exactly double. Including when you read, I've got to mention this, this has got nothing really to do with what I say, except that if you read on, there's this awesome classic story of the curse of the bears, where uh, Elijah's, You know, he leaves Jericho, he goes back to Bethel and these young men come along and tease him about his hair or lack of. And they say, yeah, go on up, you bald head. Uh, Go away, baldy, uh, would be a modern translation. And uh, it says, Elisha turned around, cursed him in the name of the Lord and two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of them. How do they know there were 42? Because they counted the bodies. They didn't just scratch them, they mauled them. So he's not a character to be messed with. It's you know, like, it's a fun, it's kind of interesting. One of those stories, you think, okay, he's a man of God. He loves people. Well, he loves God more and don't mess with him. So there's a warning. Some of you young and or very hairy men, just watch you say, watch what you say about men who are a little less hirsute than you. You never know what's going to happen. So notice a few things about this story. Elisha's heart and his priorities are revealed when he was asked what he wanted because this is like the classic aladdin moment the you know elijah was a miracle worker so this is as close as you'll ever get to having basically a genie 
come out of a bottle and say, you know, you've all played that game, haven't you? Three wishes. What would you wish for? You know, well, here's Elisha's chance because Elijah's the miracle worker who says, what do you want? And, you know, he could have asked for fame, riches and power and and yet you can see his heart and his passion for the ways of God because all he wants is just more of whatever Elijah had. He just wants to keep serving the Lord in that way of being the man of God, the minister for God, and he's, he's not interested in worldly success. And so the question there when I read that is, wow, what would I ask for? What if I was in that position? I'm not so sure if I'd be quick to say, you double portion of your spirit, just want more of that. So there's a, there's a thought. Notice also Elisha's relationship to Elijah. He's not isolated in his walk with God. He's not too proud to learn from someone else, but quite the opposite. He is very keenly connected to the man of God that God has put in his life. He calls him his father. Just as Paul, the apostle, reminds the Corinthian church that he had become their father through the gospel. And it wasn't good enough for them just to have teachers, just to have people that talk about the Lord around you. There's a challenge there about the relationships that we have. In wanting to be close to God, we need to be close to people who are also following God. And, and, and interestingly, Elijah really seems to be testing Elisha's commitment. He makes it hard for him, doesn't he? He doesn't say, now listen, Elisha, here's your chance. I've got to help you because, you know, the ministry's got to carry on. So here's your lessons. I want you to, you know, listen to me. And and he's he's not chasing him and spelling it out for him. He's quite the opposite. It's almost like he doesn't want him. He's like, no, stay here. I'm going over here. But he's he's testing him. How keen are you? And he, he goes several times to have to say, no, I'm not going to leave you. And so that's an interesting little playing out of the relationship because it, it shows, you know, the heart of discipleship is really got to be in the heart of the disciple to be hungry, to learn, not being force-fed by the older one. And so, you know, we need to make sure that we don't expect people to chase us as much as us finding someone that we can learn from and then chasing them and learning from them about the ways of God. And that's what Elisha does. And then, of course, notice his passion, this tenacity, this thing of I'm not going to be rejected. I want to hang on to you. I'm willing to be patient. I'm going to follow Elijah right to the end. I'm I'm asking for a lot, but I'm going to wait for it. I'm not... holding back, I'm not being fatalistic and saying, oh, well, what, you know, when Elijah asks him, what do you want? He doesn't say, oh, I don't know, well, you know, whatever the Lord wants. You know. uh, he, he's got a, a good godly desire, but it's strong, and, and we need to have that in our prayers and our walk with God, that we're not just dispassionate and apathetic and, and fatalistic and, oh, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I guess you'll just make it happen, whatever. Well, maybe it won't happen. Maybe God's will will not happen if you pray those prayers because there's a devil and there's sin and there's problems and sickness and issues. And maybe if you don't pray positively and on the front foot, maybe stuff that isn't God's will will just happen. 
And so we need to be on the front foot and, and fighting and, and praying for God's will. And that's why Jesus said, ask and seek and knock. Not just dribble and drift and doubtfully wait around to see whatever happens. You know? So Elisha's unafraid to say, this is what I want and I'm, I'm passionate about it. And that heart that he had for God and God's ways and serving the Lord, he kept that going right throughout his ministry. As I said, you can record all the miracles that he performed uh, right throughout his life and twice as many as Elijah had seen and right to the end. In fact, if you read on in uh, the next book of the second Kings in chapter 1, you, you find that as he was dying, he was still passionate uh, about the ways of God and about what God has for other people. In fact, he rebuked the king of, Ish, uh, of, um, of Israel, uh, Jehoash, at, at the time of his death because he said to the king, uh, prophetically shoot some arrows out of the window and, uh, and then go and pick them up and hit the ground with the arrows and that'll be a prophetic sign of how much victory you're going to have over your enemy. And, uh, and you read when uh, the king picked up the arrows, he, he hit them three times. And Elisha says, um, it says he was angry with him. He said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have beaten Aram, the enemy, until it was entirely destroyed. But now you will be victorious only three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. <laughs> so, you know, his final parting recorded words in Scripture... We're a, we're a cry and a challenge for someone to be passionate and not just cool and cruisy. And, and the king's thinking, oh, flip, I'm only hitting the ground. It's like, you know, what's the big deal? Three or five times? Yeah, well, that's something the prophet saw in you. That was just reflective of the lack of passion. The prophet said, go and shoot the arrows and not just think, well, that's stupid. Just do as you're told. It's a, you know, prophets can be a little weird and you read through what they had to do and go through and maybe they call other people to do some weird things and, and he had a challenge there to follow what the man of God was saying. And he said, well, pick up the arrows, hit them on the ground and oh, really, who's watching? It's, it's a bit silly, doesn't it? You know? and, and so, well, ah, bam, and there's Elisha saying, well, there you go. I hope you're happy with what other people didn't think was so weird, but you missed your chance. And so he's still got the fire in his bones. So much that it raised people from the dead after he was dead. You read that? And so this year and next year and every year, I just feel stirred and challenged and want to stir and challenge you to stay passionate about the Lord, about following Jesus, about serving Jesus, about, you know, deciding to be a believer who keeps believing, being a, a Christian who keeps living like a Christian, not just the label, but the real character qualities and behaviours that God builds in us and the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit producing in us. Uh, you know, patiently and persistently loving God, serving Jesus, loving people, graciously forgiving people, uh, praying in faith, sharing your faith. Because the fact is, you know, things don't happen as quickly and as easily as we would always like. 
good things. And, uh, and so there is this need for tenacious, persistent people to get things done. Not just give it a go, oh, it's not happening, I'm back off, give up. Vision never fulfilled. Vision isn't fulfilled overnight. And that's why we need to be patient. Author um, Carl Vaters, American guy, written a fantastic book. Uh, and he says this, whenever people get frustrated by their lack of forward progress, I always ask, are you facing in the right direction? If you are, direction is everything. Just keep doing it over a long period of time. That's cool, isn't it? So you might not see the results as quick as you'd like, but if you just check your direction and goals and motivation, and then if that's all good, then just keep going and be patient. You know, Abraham Lincoln was apparently criticised for being slow. He would often take time to make decisions, and people accused him of being a bit of a slow coach. And he's quoted as saying, I may move slow, but I never move backward. And so he kept moving forward, and so much so that he's gone down in history as one of the greatest leaders of all time. In fact, he's voted on all the polls that they've done over the years in America as their greatest ever president. So you don't have to be the fastest or the flashiest as long as you keep moving forward, doing God's will. Just don't give up. Don't stop. Don't go backwards. Don't run away when the pressure's on, whether it's from a relationship that God's called you to, uh, a, a commitment in your workplace, in church life, uh, whatever passion, heart, direction that God's got, just be very careful before you turn off to the side, but stay going where God's called you to. And that's why it says in the book of Galatians, and I'll finish with this, um, Galatians 6 verse 9, I think we mentioned this even last week because we're talking about sowing and reaping. And this flows on from that scripture about sowing and reaping. He says, let's not get tired of doing what's good because at just the right time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And some people don't reap the harvest because they do give up. And so don't be like that. This is a real key quality of having that passion over a long period of time, persistence to keep going. In fact, bear with me. I'll just read you one more quote uh, because I think you're still awake. You've got another two minutes? Listen. This is a guy, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message uh, paraphrase of the Bible. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And the subtitle is Discipleship in an Instant Society. So he's addressing this thing of, of maintaining the right course throughout life. And he's talking about hope. And he says, look, uh, there's a tension between trusting God and, and working hard in life. There are times when we, we need to be active and do stuff, but there are other times we need to be patient and, and flowing and trusting in God. And he's saying, on one hand, uh, you know, you shouldn't be getting all frenetic and frustrated in life to wait for something. But on the other hand, we shouldn't be apathetic and doing nothing. So he talks about hope and he says this, hoping does not mean doing nothing. It's not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It's not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It's the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulation, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. 
It's not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. It's a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It's the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling him how and when to do it. That's not hoping in God, that's bullying God. So let's keep that tension where we are active, pursuing what God's called us to do, but still patient and full of faith as we wait and see God's timing on our lives. And that can be a little testing part of our journey. Amen? Come on, so let's keep growing. Let's serve God in active, patient, persistent ways. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence and, and your, uh, your touch on our lives this morning. We pray for fire and passion to keep burning inside us right through all of our days, not just in the short term, but in the long term. You know, just as we're seated in the presence of God, before we close, I want to make sure you have an opportunity to respond to God's greatest invitation. If you've never given your life to Christ, He's come, He's died on the cross in our place for our sin, for all our mistakes all the stuff that separates us from God. And it's only through Jesus can we get right with God and get our lives sorted to live the best life that God has got planned for us. But he's given us the opportunity to respond. It's our choice. And if you want to pray a prayer of commitment to him, he welcomes us. He invites us. He's done all he can to compel us, but the choice is still ours. And I want to pray for you at the end of the service if you need to get right with God for the very first time or maybe it's a recommitment that you need to make to say in a fresh way, yes, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to follow you. Maybe, maybe you've, you've walked with Jesus in the past, but you're not feeling it, as they say. You're not close to him. You're not assured of your salvation, your home in heaven. If you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd be heading to heaven? And along the way, are you living with Jesus in your heart, walking and talking with him? If you're not assured of that, then come and see me straight after the end of the service, and I'll pray for you. also want to pray at the end of the service for anyone who is sick, because the Bible promises prayer, promises healing through our prayers, healing completely for our soul and our body. And so if you need prayer, I'll get Byron and some others to help me pray. At the end of the service, come forward and we'll believe God to move in that situation if you're sick in your body and we'll see God's healing power. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing here today. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.